you know, we've got all of our check marks and things we have to hit for diagnosing people. We have all these things in place that are deemed as to help people and be inclusive and raise them up. But the reality is, is it doesn't cover spirituality. And that's the most, that's the first thing we think. What happens when you die is the first question a bereaved parent's going to ask. Episode 14 with Erin Chandler. Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast with me, Kim McCall. The premise underpinning discussions on this podcast is that life extends beyond the physical dimension, that death is not the end of life, that we're all connected energetically with each other, both in the physical dimension and across dimensions, and that there is a purpose to our life that involves growth, healing, and assistance to each other. We will be having conversations to expand your consciousness, help you connect with your essential self, and live life as an integrated, multidimensional human being. But given the subject matters, I have a request. Don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, do your own research, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. The musical introduction to this episode is by the Finnish fusion artist Axel Kessler. The song is called Reincarnation. My guest today is Erin Chandler, who spoke with me from a home in Ontario, Canada. Erin is a bereavement coach and speaker. She works one-on-one with clients and hosts spiritual connection retreats for the bereaved around the world. Erin herself is a bereaved parent and guides others how to connect with and receive guidance from their deceased loved ones. She is the author of Love You, Ava Baby, The Truth About Life After Losing a Child and The Spirit Connection, The Bereaved Parent's Guide to Moving Beyond the Grief and Communing with Your Child. In this conversation, we explore the reality and depth of grief that comes with losing a child and how, in Erin's case, her grief over losing her baby daughter drove her to the darkest depth until an unexpected message from her daughter through a medium opened Erin up to the continuity of life beyond the physical dimension. Erin shares how she learned to see the subtle signs her now extra-physical daughter uses to communicate with her and how we can all connect with extra-physical loved ones in practical ways. We cover issues such as the challenge of accepting communications from non-physical people and sharing those experiences with others, the limitations of conventional religion to assist us in understanding death, and why it is unrealistic to expect getting all our answers from a medium. Finally, Erin explains how she came to understand the purpose behind her daughter's death. At the very end, Erin shares a practical technique for how to connect with deceased loved ones. Hey, Erin, and welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on here, Kim. Um, 
This topic today, I think, is going to be really important for a lot of people because uh, we talk about loss and how to deal with loss and um, how to understand death maybe differently. Um, you have lost a daughter. Yes. And as a parent, um, I haven't lost my children, but I've had the fear just at the thought of losing them. And um, it's probably the worst fear I've felt. And that, despite the fact of knowing for a long time um, about death not being the end of life, um, nonetheless, in that moment of being a parent, it just became that just became irrelevant. You know, it was mm-hmm. that fear, the fear of the child um, having been gone. So, um, I guess I'd like to start with understanding um, before this happened, before you lost your daughter. What what was your relationship to death? You know, I, I actually, that was one of the first experiences of death that I actually had. Um, so I had never really thought about death in the context that other people have. The only person that had uh, passed away was my grandfather and my grandmother, but they were very much at the end of their, their life. And I felt happy for them yeah. um, because they had lived a long and beautiful life. So I had no negative connotation or association with death. And I rarely ever thought about it prior to this. And did you have any, any beliefs or understanding about what happened, happens when we die? Prior to? No. Prior to, yes. I, I hadn't even thought that far ahead to even consider it. Mm. Or ponder it. And um, maybe for the audience, you could just um, explain a little bit about what happened to your daughter. Yes. So my daughter, Ava, uh, she was born with a heart condition. So she was born with multiple heart defects. And the day she was born, she had to go undergo open heart surgery to correct one of the defects. Otherwise the valve would close within hours of her being born and she would die. So she underwent a successful heart surgery on her first day in this world. It's pretty incredible what they can do with the human body. So with that being said, we spent, I'd probably say it was 10 days we spent in the hospital um, healing from that at a children's hospital. And we were sent home after the 10 days. When we were sent home, her uh, the chest cavity where the opening for the surgery was had opened up again. The wound had dehissed, is what they call it. And we went home with a ten-day-old baby with an open wound in her side of her chest there, as well as blood clots. So we took her home and basically had nurses coming in and out of the home. I was packing her wounds. I was giving her injections twice a day to stop the blood clot to break it up. And uh, it actually happened really suddenly. She was about five and a half weeks in and just the one day she started crying a lot. She was a little bit cooler. She wouldn't eat. And we took her to the hospital just to be on the safe side um, as per the children's hospital. And 
she, she died. It was sudden. It was shocking. Her heart, uh, when they did the autopsy, was perfectly intact and perfectly healed. So her death was not a result of her heart defects or the surgery. So it was very sudden and it was very shocking. And after mm. everything we had gone through with her, to have death still be the outcome that they had told us on the first day she was born was kind of like, okay, so it didn't matter. doesn't matter what we do. She was going to die. So that's kind of what happened in that process. And you would have felt completely powerless. You know, it's interesting. You, um, you go into shock. Uh, you know how they say the Charlie Chaplin movies, how everything's kind of like the black and white slow-mo and nobody's really talking, but their mouths are moving. Mm -hmm. That literally is what it felt like. It was like I was in this serene place where I was there, but I wasn't really there. Like I did. Um, that was in the moment of, of uh, you know, immediately that, after the death, right? No, this was weeks after Kim. Oh, okay. This went on for weeks. Like I remember at my daughter's funeral, um, I actually spoke at her funeral to say thank you to the people that were there and who had supported us through all of the things that had happened at the children's hospital and through the surgery and recovery and all those things. And it's literally like you split. For me, it was like I had split. So for example, I'm reading this paper that we've written to these people at the funeral. And in my head, I had a totally different conversation. So it was like one half of me was reading this I want to, I didn't want to say eulogy, but reading this letter and the other half of me was looking at my best friend, having a totally different conversation. It's a total dissociation of shock and trauma. Mm. And it went on for, that went on for weeks. I don't even know how long that that went on for. Um, and then it just kind of, it's kind of like you spend the first year in a fog. Um, a lot of brief parents will, attest to the fact that the second year is worse than the first and that's because a bit of that fog and shock has lifted mm. and the reality of everything kind of sets in and the emotion um, the pain the painful emotions arise yes yeah and it's not that they're not there in the first year it's just that you have that fog kind of layered on top of it so it's kind of numb whereas the second year it just kind of hits people in the face and that's definitely what happened for me and I spent it like that for about seven years so a lot yeah. of free parents never recover from losing a child and you really aren't the same afterwards how could you be yeah and it had a huge impact on on your whole family right your family life yeah so I think it, that's another thing about loss is um it's not just about losing a person. You ultimately lose many other people um, figuratively rather than um, literally. You lose relationships, um, your friends that were your friends that can't withstand the amount of emotion and pain. Um, they fall away. Internal relationships within the immediate family all suffer because everybody's grieving and not knowing what to do and they're all drowning. How are you going to help them when you can't even help yourself in that circumstance? Um, so for me, and it's not that way for everyone, but the, the statistics, Kim, for um, 
parents divorcing after losing a child are extremely high. Same with addictions, same with suicide, same with um, severe health problems. The percentages are insane if for bereaved parents. They're all very, very high. Mm. Um, it definitely breaks down anything that was broken prior to losing a child most definitely will be obliterated after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like it really goes to the core of our being. Definitely. And I think it's intended to do that. I think it's intended to, um, everybody says it, you feel broken afterwards and you do feel broken. Um, coming full circle from that, I realize you're never broken, but you're broken open to all the things that no longer work, the illusions that you thought were something that no longer are. Um, and that includes the people in your life. So mm. for me, you know, there was, I stayed with my um, ex-husband. We were together for seven years and, you know, everybody processes grief differently and we can only process um, such deep and profound and heavy chaos and emotions like that with the tools that we have. So most of us aren't given tools for that. You know, there is no, no. crash course in losing no. a child. No, absolutely so, not. Yeah. And, and, and one so, thing that I got from your book um, was how alone you were um, yes. as far as the people around you go. You know, and I was thinking about, because I work with uh, Indigenous people here in Australia and um, there's a lot of emphasis there on communal grieving in the, in mm-hmm. the funeral practices. Yes. And that really, when I was reading, when I was reading your, you know, your account of how, how isolated you felt from anybody, really, mm-hmm. um, it really made me uh, appreciate the value of, of um, you know, cultural practices that bring you together and allow you to fully express your emotion. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting you bring that up, Kim, because um, that's one of the things that I feel like really needs to be explored and shared. Like, I feel like that the the process and just the general definition of death, um, the way we process grief here in Western society is very dysfunctional. It's very isolated. It's very taboo. It's very um, along the lines of, if it's not happy, happy, I want to avoid it. Because if I don't think about it, then I don't have to be in it. Mm. Um, Whereas communal grieving is, it is required in this circumstance. You know, isolation definitely, um, definitely did not allow me to grieve, process, move forward or heal anything. When in fact, it was when you get into communities with people who are acknowledging, validating their lives and bringing community together, that's where healing is. It's with other people. That's why we have that human connection to each other. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of power Mm -hmm. in connection. And, um, you know, I don't want to jump ahead too far, so if there's something else you want to fill in, please feel free to. But I, I, I guess what... Where, where a lot of healing came for you in the eventually was um, realizing that there still was a connection with, with Ava, right? Yes, yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm just going to backtrack a little bit there just so that it can, I can highlight um, that shift because yeah. that is an important shift and definitely I can attribute probably everything to um, realizing, understanding and knowing that um, there I can connect with her at any point in time because spirit is always around us. So during that seven years and that breakdown of everything, it was like a slow decline. It was like one layer after the other, 365 days a year for seven years of um, being in isolation and not having support and not having space to grieve is really what sunk me to the point where Mm. I had decided um, that I couldn't do this anymore. Despite having other children, I just couldn't live in that much suffering and pain and feeling so alone. Um, So I literally went out into the woods in one morning and decided that um, I would let myself die because I just couldn't hack it anymore. And, um, you know, shortly after that, I get a call from a way extended family member that I actually never really conversed with prior to this, calling me, telling me that my daughter and my grandmother were coming to her crying And that they said that I had given up, which was my exact words to the universe that I had used. Mm. Um, So that for me was a total surrender and um, giving up on life and not wanting to be here was what was required for um, spirit to come full circle and say, hey, you're not giving up (laughs) because we're still here. So and that's when the healing actually started to happen. is through that um, that messaging with her. And so, what did you? So, so this was a relative who you didn't really know before. Yeah, so she's like, um, she's a extended relative, but through marriage. Yeah. So it's quite quite removed. It's not somebody mm-hmm. I interact with all the time. And and um, she, she just called you and said, you know, I'm talking to your your grandmother and your daughter who are dead. How did you How did you respond? I mean, were you open to that straight away or? Immediately. Isn't that interesting? Mm. It was like shock and awe. It was like shock me out of where I was and all of a sudden like, hold on, there's more. Yeah. It was like hope, hope in a heartbeat is really what that was. Um, and it, it was, it was shocking. Um, it was very specific and it really came out of nowhere. Like I didn't even know this woman um, was a medium. It's mm. her. It's a secret for her. You know what I mean. It's not something she shares with anybody. Well, there's, there's. I'm going to want to touch on that as well. Eh? I mean, you had that that experience. That there's a lot of shame around that, or or um, fear that people will judge you or think you're crazy, right? Definitely, and I think that um, I think that's across the board for a lot of things. You know, we're very much uh, a society that is really. I'll believe it when I see it, and. We're very um, proof-oriented, scientifically oriented, which is all all serve a grand purpose and are amazing. But, you know, when it comes to things that I can't say, here's proof, (laughs) it becomes very difficult. And people do tend to dismiss and discredit um, just based on the general persona. Like if you think about it legally, legal terms, Kim, you know, most mediums and psychics they're giving you the most valid information there is and yet have to have a legal disclaimer that it's for entertainment purposes only as a legal requirement for them. 
Oh, I wasn't aware that that was a yes, a yeah, and. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? So if you don't do that, people will say, oh, I made this decision because you you said this dead person said this. And it's really to protect them from people making distorted decisions. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a reason why the CIA and all government agencies all have and use um, psychic programs, training, learning. That's how they've identified many, many things, solved many cases. Um, it's it's totally for real mm. yeah <laughs> so yeah. it's it's interesting it is it is interesting mm -hmm. and it is interesting that um uh the, the you said you know like we need evidence but often we deny even the evidence is in our face like it was it literally yes. in our bodies you know like we're experiencing things and we deny their validity no that can't be true and you know writing things off absolutely um, you're totally and, correct uh, on that I, I think you talk a bit about that in your book as well, right? When in the beginning, um, when you started becoming open to the possibility that there might be perceptions that the, that Ava might be communicating with you, there was a, a, a sort of a regular tug tug of war between you know accepting it and questioning it. Is that right? Yes, because you know it's it's subtleties. It's not like, you know, I have a person standing beside me in the flash that I'm talking to. It's not like they're standing inside of me and I'm hearing them as I'm hearing you. It's all very subtle. It's a very internal process. It requires um, a stillness and a quietness. And it requires focus. So, you know, it's easy to dismiss and discredit yourself when a thought pops in. And it's kind of like a disjointed out of nowhere in a size. Sometimes it's in my voice. Sometimes it's in their voice. Um, sometimes the, the tone, the intonations of it are very different from mine. So to have something in your thoughts in popping in your mind, it makes it very easy to discredit it because what's the definition of crazy people who talk to themselves and have, talk to people outside of themselves that the rest of us don't see. Yeah. And yet we have a voice internally that talks to us all the time, our own. So technically well, we're we all several, crazy. several voices. Yeah. I was, I was, yes. talking, I was talking about that in another episode with, uh, with Elle, um, about this, this whole stigma around voices. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's really is kind of, uh, it's, it's almost like the stigma around, um, psychic perceptions. Yes. That's, it's treated as something something scary and crazy and all those things. But we all have multiple voices that carry exactly. on all the time. And the more we understand that, then it's interesting that then we can develop a relationship and maybe work out that there are actually other voices as well that aren't coming from inside of us. Definitely. And, you know, the other thing about dismissing and discrediting, like as a bereaved parent, um, the first thing I think for a lot of them, they're the ones who need to know the most that they can connect with their children, that they're not just, you know, gone, poof, nowhere. Um, they desperately need to know that their children are in fact there and still with them and still guiding them and loving them. It's not the end. But the reality is, is, you know, I went through therapy with a registered psychologist, never telling her 
that I was also talking to my daughter, never telling her that the reason that I even went and seen her was because my dad daughter had told me that I needed to go see a psychologist. Mm. You know, so I went through a year of therapy, never disclosing any of these things when it was the most profound and healing part of why I am where I am today. And, and what was the impact of not being able to share that? Uh, you know, it was just a lot of shame. Like if you think about it, Kim, like I had a full mental breakdown. Um, I had just left my spouse who had spent, you know, the last seven years since my daughter died dealing with his grief um, by engaging with other women and multiple other things. So for me, it was like, a, it was a total breakdown of I've lost my child. Um, all the people who were supposed to support me, love me, don't, everything is bad. And it was kind of like, if I had walked in there with a full mental breakdown and said, oh, and by the way, my dead daughter's talking to me, you know, I ran the risk of what's mm. going to happen. Am I going to lose my other children? Am I going to be sent to see a psychiatrist and prescribe heavy medications? Like there was fear. So there was fear yeah, and there was shame. And there was a feeling of judgment. And she said to me afterwards, it's interesting because that psychologist afterwards, she had said to me, she's like, she had said, you know, you have actually worked through and processed an incredible amount of things and have come a really long way. And not many people are able to do that. And, you know, I never told her the piece that was the most inherent and most important piece. And mm. afterwards, she read my first book. I gave it to her and I asked her to read it. And after she read it, she said to me, why didn't you tell me those things? And that's when they said, "If I, when I first came to you, the way that I was, so broken, for lack of a better word, and told you that on top of it, what would your response have been? And she said, I see. And I've mm. learned a lot. So, you know, I think that there's, there's so many different lines to be crossed and so many different perceptions and judgments. We've got our educational style, you know, we've got all of our check marks and things we have to hit for diagnosing people. We have all these things in place that are deemed as to help people and be inclusive and raise them up. But the reality is, is it doesn't cover spirituality. No. No, that's very true. And that's the most, that's the first thing we think. What happens when you die is the first question a bereaved parent's going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And there's really a lot of uh, sort of uh, not necessarily helpful um, religious concepts that can be quite confusing, I think, and fearful, in many cases, fearful for people. And then there's the denial, really, of um, mainstream science. Yes. Yeah, you are right. Um, and in regards to like the religious context, you know, that has been, there's a lot of wounded people from the rules and regulations that are inherently prominent in the religious sectors. So, and it really breaks my heart because, you know, Kim, the whole purpose, I think, of religions is for community and to bring people together to have a place of inclusivity where they can all belong and the issue you know for me my belief is 
God is not the issue. The issue is man's rules and regulations that they've um, placed upon it in order to make sense of it logically as well as control. Mm. So it becomes a method of excluding rather than including. And in addition to that, those rules, like when you think about it, so Ava was a baby. Um, my ex-husband was Catholic. His mom, I don't want to say she was a devout Catholic, but she was heavily involved. It was, um, it was, it was a big thing for her and we all respected that. So for her, you know, after Ava died, she had come to me and she had said, you know, don't worry. I went in after her surgery because they had come to be with us during that time. She said, I went in and um, baptized her myself so that you wouldn't have to worry. So, you know, the issue with death and religious views and concepts is that whole perception of heaven and hell, mm. the perception of um what did my child do wrong? And this is for any age of child. It's irrelevant that your child could be 50. And when they die before you, it's, it's the same thing. They're still your child for life, regardless of how old you are and how old they are. But it brings up the concept of, I wonder where they are because my child made some mistakes. And what if that sends them to hell? Because yeah. every human being makes mistakes. So technically, we're all going to be in hell. Yeah. Um, so it brings up those things. Uh, it brings up, did they do all the right things? Um, it brings up also, did I do something wrong? And I'm being punished now. And my child's being punished and their life is being taken away. The enormity of what that concept of religious beliefs of heaven and hell and God bring up in relation to death is huge and the result can only be suffering and punishment and fear because it's fear based yeah, yeah. all of it yeah. so you know for that's why i say like game changer when you know that there isn't any heaven and hell mm. um, the reality for a brief parent and it was very much my experience and almost all bereaved parents i've spoken to is you could dish me up any kind of hell that um, a religion or a Bible can give me because it does not compare to being alive mm. and without you, you knowing that hell. Exactly. There's nothing worse than this kind of hell on earth. Um, so it really broaches that. And, you know, in all of my, in all of my learning process of connecting with Ava and my grandmother and other people's children and loved ones, there's so much that we don't understand and we don't know and so many limits that the that the human mind puts on itself based on what we've learned. So, you know, the reality is is my understanding and, and it may not be everybody's and that's okay. I think it's about awareness and I learn new things every day and I become more open every day. It's a learning process, a lifelong learning process. Um so the context that um, is relayed to me, and you have to remember when spirit relays something to me, they're relaying it to me differently than they would relay it to you mm -hmm. or to somebody mm -hmm. else mm -hmm. because they take into consideration my life experience and my perceptions and how I would interpret it. Yeah. And that's why everybody's experience and explanation is different, which is good. Because if you have a hundred people doing viewing it a hundred different ways, 
it reaches more people. It says the same thing, but explained in different ways for different people to understand it. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, I'd like to explore that a bit more um, and a bit further on what you just mentioned there, this, the way we differently perceive um, communications mm -hmm. from, from non-physical people. But I, I, I'm curious for yourself how you went from getting this phone call from your distant you know, relative, said, yeah, I'm talking, I'm talking to your daughter, to then, um, I guess, educating yourself and, and coming up with you, developing your own understandings and experiential understandings. So, you know, did you reach out to any, were there any books you looked at or any, um, any, so, what, is, what sort of information did you reach out for at that stage? So I, yes, definitely. Um, because it is a process. It's not like you switch a shift and it's done. Um, part of the process of connecting that a lot of people don't want to look at. So for me to go from suddenly knowing that somebody else is talking to my daughter, first it started as um, I would start to get signs and recognize it was an indicator from my daughter. So um, a hummingbird would come up to me very, very close. Just um, animals, things like that, insects, behaving in a way that they wouldn't typically behave. Um, would start showing up for me. Once I was aware that there was a connection, she was there. It was like my awareness allowed me to be able to open up to more awareness. And it was a process. So first it was signs, things that I recognized were her. Somebody would call me and say, my name is Ava. And I would get three calls in a week of people named Ava, um, which had never happened in the seven years prior. Mm. Um, just things that people would dub as a coincidence Suddenly, I was aware that they were not coincidences. It was opening up my awareness, um, the synchronicity of things pointing the way you're going the right direction. So I really just started immersing myself, Kim, in anything and everything that I could in relation to spirit, the afterlife, psychics, mediums, how it works, what it looks like. Um, the most beneficial thing that I found there's two things actually that were the most beneficial for me. The first was every time I would read something that was in relation to learning how to open up to spirit or was talking about journeying with shamans and your spirit guides and things like that. The second I would read about something, it would happen. And I couldn't figure this out. I kept thinking to myself, why is that? Why did I read it? And it happened. Is that just because it was in my in my mind because so what, you know what would people be an would example that. of that like what would, would like what would, would be an example of something that happened uh, let me think here there's so many it's it's kind of like they all get mooshed all together um so like for example i was reading this book on signs it's a really it's a really good book for people who are just starting to delve into it um if i think of the author i will share that with you so in his book he was talking about um the significance of numbers it's a universal language is numbers it's prevalent in every language um, it's prevalent throughout the world in so many different um, things and it prefaces as a universal language a way for the universe and our interconnectedness to be brought together with signs and interpretations and things like that so i would i read this chapter on the numbers and the importance of them, the indicators of them. And he would talk about, you know, you're going to look at the clock and it's going to be this time or whichever time has meaning to you would show up repeatedly. 
And that's exactly what started happening. So anytime um, I look at the clock, it's 2.22. I wake up and it's 2.22 in the night. Uh, I look at license plates, they have 2.22 on them. You know, somebody calls me and it turns out to be this wonderful person I've never met and their number is 2.22 in it. Mm -hmm. Um, It just started showing up everywhere after I read about it and became aware of it. So one might argue as a skeptic is, well, you just read about that. So that's in your mind. And now you're just looking to see it everywhere because that's what the mind wants to see. And, you know, maybe that is so for that person. But for me, every time that 222 came up, if I just assessed it as just the number, which was what I was doing initially, I was like, oh, amazing. I just got an indicator that, you know, spirit is with me and I'm going in the right direction. I used it as indicators, but it only showed up because I read about numbers. But here's where it gets into the nitty gritty of understanding why that is important. So if you actually stopped when you saw the number and thought about what was I just thinking about when I looked over and noticed that the time and it happened to be that number, that's what the indicator is actually for. Yes, sometimes it's to say, hey, we're here. We love you. We're thinking about you. We're right with you. But if you actually are able to stop and think about what you were thinking about in that moment, it totally changes your perception and understanding of what those numbers mean for you. So for example, um, this is just recently. (laughs) So I was debating on, I just started this program um, doing 12 days of holiday grief support for bereaved parents in a private um, support group with the bereaved. And each day I, um, I was told by spirit that I was given the inspiration that I needed to do this 12 days, but I have no idea, Kim, what's going to happen each day or what the message is that spirit wants to relay. So I was kind of uncomfortable with it. And I was thinking to myself, like, I don't want to do it because I don't know what I'm doing beforehand. It's flying blind. And, um, so I'm thinking about this and I stopped and I thought, okay, I need to think about all the reasons that I can do it. And so I started thinking about all the reasons how spirit supports me, how the universe works, what my purpose is, um, what the purpose of my daughter's death is. And I look over at the clock and it's 2.22. So because I recognize that my thought is the thing that she's trying to point out was the validation of, yes, those are all the reasons you're going to do it anyways. So it wasn't that, oh, I saw 2.22 and she's there with me. It was, mm-hmm. oh, it's 2.22. That's my daughter's number always. She's giving me the indicator that that thought right there is the validation to just jump in and do it. Um, yeah. Because, you know, as a human experience, part of the dismissing and discredit is not trusting ourselves. Absolutely. And I think very few people trust themselves. Especially around these kinds of you know, intuitions, inner guidance. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it makes sense, right? Because like, when you think about it, I did not trust myself. My job was to protect my child and she's dead and I had no control over it. Yeah. Um, my intuition was that and my husband wasn't, you know, having multiple mm. affairs, but he was, there's just yeah. so many things in our lives where well, we're and wrong. I'm sure, I'm sure long before that, when we were children, so many yes. of us get given the message, not, totally. to trust, not to trust ourselves, but to, you know, listen to authority outside of us. Or. Exactly. So, you know, it makes sense that nobody really has that inherent trust in themselves unless they've done the work and really explored it. 
because it's literally as a children we're raised to not trust ourselves yeah yeah um yeah and so so what was the process so once you started this world opened up to you and you started seeing that actually life is multidimensional there are life continues beyond the physical um how did that impact on your your grief processing like uh, like you said it wasn't like you flicked a switch um, no how did that can you describe it how that unfolded yes so um in terms of my grief it was a slow process of unpacking so what actually happened um and a lot of people don't want to go there and that's the interesting thing about this is she really um, opened my eyes to unpacking each experience that I had had in the grief process and the different people who had impacted and affected the way that I did or didn't grieve and actually go back and feel all of it over again entirely so that I could actually face the things that I did not face at the time. And once I allowed myself to go there emotionally because I felt safe with her to do that, knowing I would come out the other side and it would be okay, she broke. She would break down and bring into my awareness what the reason for it was. So one of the examples of this, um, because there's multiple reasons for many things that happen, but we often don't see it until afterwards mm. when we can look back and connect the dots. So one of the things that had happened was um, I there were some things that did not go the way that they were supposed to at the local hospital that Ava was admitted to the night that she died. There's a lot of red flags, a lot of people changing their stories. And for me, it was like, I know that something is wrong because all of these stories aren't adding up. Like yeah. this isn't what happened. So for me, I I struggled with that and I needed to know the reason why. When I went to a police station, um, I think it was not long after she passed away to ask if they had investigated all of these things. The detective like laughed in my face and said, why are you making a scrapbook? And that two seconds, two minute interaction totally destroyed me. It totally destroyed me that my child has just died and you find it amusing that I'm standing in front of you asking you about um, the investigation to her death and referencing that I would make a scrapbook. So for me, that two minute conversation turned into, I have no value and my daughter's life has no value. And you people who I was taught to were here to serve and protect me is all a lie. So I carried that with me without allowing myself to fully acknowledge mm the betrayal, the rug being pulled out from under me, I just got angry and it sat as anger. So I didn't allow myself to feel all of the things around it. And that's why I carried it. And that's often why we carry, that's why we suffer. We don't validate our own feelings because everyone's like, oh, they're just doing their job or, oh, he didn't really mean it. Well, so that that's the persona that I took was I shouldn't, feel these things because he was just doing his job when the reality is is because I did that and thought that and took that advice I totally discredited my own experience so I had to go back and re-experience those things and not everybody has to go back and re-experience things um, 
there's a lot of people that don't. That's that was just my own personal crux of double-edged sword mm. of compassion and positivity I was trying to go for. Um, <laughs> well, do yeah. think, I do think these things sit in our body um, if we don't if we don't connect with them. So uh, you know, it might manifest differently for different people, but I I do have the sense that usually some kind of release is necessary. Yes, as part of the and, healing process. Yeah, and just validating it. Like, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel betrayed and sad and hurt yeah. and in pain. Um, so, yeah, so once I allowed myself to go through that, it actually allowed me to be able to be open to the reason why that whole thing happened. So it's actually, it has multiple parts to it. Um, Ava led me to some of them through connections. And the thing is with spirit is, I think people look for, I'm going to ask this question and you're going to give me the answer and I'm expecting this answer. So it should be that. Yeah. And it never works that way. Um, never in a million years did I think that, you know, the answer to this would be the answer. And she didn't just say, oh, this is the reason why. It was more along the lines of, I'm going to ask you a few questions and you're going to discover on your own the reason why, because there's nothing more powerful than coming to a conclusion on your own versus somebody else telling you. Because oh, then it's not really absolutely. your experience. No, and that seems to be what what um, one of the reasons for being in this physical life is to learn through experience and and move through experience. Because otherwise, what would be the point? I mean, the extra physical people could just give us all the answers. But exactly, that's not exactly. really why we're here. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, when they go to mediums and psychics, they expect them to give them very specific information. They go with an expectation of, if you don't tell me this, then this can't be real. Yeah. When the reality of it is, you know, the person who's doing that, being that vessel and being open to it, is not there to connect your dots for you or to decipher what the meaning is. They're just simply relaying what they receive and it's up to the recipient to connect the dots for themselves because it is that experience that's the most powerful learning tool. And it was for me, you know, I, the questions that she proposed, I don't remember exactly what they were, but I do know that the outcome of that experience with that police officer was um, to experience devalue to experience not valuing myself in any capacity or life mm. in any capacity to fully understand the value of every human being's life and it was also to understand that um there's a real disconnect for um the police services and people who are in that extreme environment all the time they see people at their worst 24 7 and there's very little support for them and so that was a mechanism for him. I think they call it black humor within those um, within those jobs and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, they carry a huge emotional load. It, yes, and, you know, it is the worst of worst. It is a lot of trauma. Mm. So, you know, it's recognizing that's one of the one of my goals personally is to bring that up to the forefront that there isn't enough support for them and it trickles down. It, it affects them and their families but it affects the people that they're trying to help that it didn't work out as helping, but it really just became super obvious that I, I needed to thank this detective for giving me that experience because it ultimately was what I required mm. in my life to truly understand how valuable every life is. 
including my own. But I so, couldn't know that unless did, did, I knew. Did, so did you go and, and reconnect with him? I have not, no. Um, I was thinking uh, there's a gentleman running a campaign for that, and I thought to myself I should connect with him and just uh, open up about that. I haven't connected with him uh, personally as of yet. I figured I would let that unfold organically as that will take place. I'd be really uh, curious if that opens up anything for, for him, you know, to hear I, that, to hear the impact and to to receive the, the appreciation. Yes. Yes, and, and that's why I say I, I'm okay with letting it unfold organically and happen with divine timing because he also has to be ready to take that in as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's quite interesting um, through that healing process of being taken back through that. And, you know, for people who are grieving and at the bottom of the well, you feel like you're there all the time. And if you allow yourself to go deep into one of your specific experiences that you just can't take anymore. That's what it feels like in that grief. And so I understand why we, you know, as human beings, if something hurts, we don't want to go there. I don't want to touch the stove because it's going to burn me and it's going to hurt. So I don't do it. I don't go there. Um, unfortunately for uh, mental health and the emotional capacity, we need to go there because mm -hmm. it's different than physical pain. Yeah. So that's pretty much the process of bringing it through um, the healing process of grieving. And um, when I look, you know, looking back at everything that happened, Kim, I'm so grateful for all of it, even the most painful of it. It really all was for my benefit. Uh, what's that saying that they say? They say the gift is wrapped in shit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm swearing, but there's many other swear words I could use. But, yeah. um, you know, it really is. So if you're willing to, you know, look at those huge, profoundly life-changing, sorrow-filled, emotional, painful, numb, depressive moments to be able to examine it, you will find that gift and that gift will totally set you free Yeah, in so many ways. Well, I think you talk about that in your book, how, how the life flows into those parts of your life where the pain. So, you know, once you go process, go through the pain, that's when the life energy comes, can come in and yeah. express itself fully through you. Yes, exactly. You have to make space for it. So it's, is really what the way that I, try and explain that in the most specific of layman terms. Yeah. So for your mind, you know, for people who have anxiety is a good example. When you have a lot of anxiety, you're thinking going over and over in your head about all of the things you're worried about and what might happen. And if that happens, what would this happen? And how would I react? And what should I do? That takes up so much space in your mind, in your body, in your emotions and in your energy field that there is no space for anything else to come in. So you have to make space to be able to connect with your inner self. You've, you've, you just can't do that if you're trying to do it with all these other voices and thoughts and feelings and emotions coming in. You have to clear those and make space for spirit to come in and give you the answers and the help that you're looking for. And I think um, that's kind of where the disconnect, people always want to go straight to connecting but the reality is 
we've got so much crap from our own experience still mm. sitting in there that we haven't cleared or thought to clear or thought we cleared um, that's sitting in there that's kind of blocking our clear, concise flow of energy to come into us to have that experience of connecting. So I think that's why a lot of people give up. A lot of people say, oh, I get my signs and, you know, that's, that's the limit. That's the cap. And it's, it's such a shame because that's only the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's not recognizing that they have to make space for it, which includes shifting your perceptions. When you make space, you are examining what you think about death. You're examining, you know, the story from your childhood that you were told. You're examining the experiences and do they align with this concept of who I am now and what spirit is trying to tell me because at the end of the day your loved ones will show up in whatever form is the most healing comforting um helping guidance form shape experience that will resonate with you and that's why it's different for everybody that perception because spirit's not going to show up and you know your loved ones aren't going to come and tell you something you're not ready to hear or hurt you or do any of those things they're literally, they know how to show up when I relay the message so that you get it and you are comforted by it. Even though I would get the message and be like, I have no idea what that means. And I'm not sure it's even going to comfort them at all. But I, I have to relinquish that control. And you trust. And we, so yeah. you then basically trust that what you're getting is going to be meaningful for the other person. Yes. And that's very difficult, you know, because well, maybe it's just difficult for me, but a lot of mediums say it really is about trust. Um, and it's about letting go of the need to be right. And it's about letting go of the need to not make mistakes. And it's the need, it's really the letting go of the ego, Kim, mm. in so many forms. So when I go into uh, a reading with um, a client, or if I go into a connection for myself thinking I have to get this right and I need to make sure it's the appropriate information and it needs to make sense for me, that's when things get disjointed. Um, and that's why I say, you know, when I feel like I need to get it right. If you try and control it. Exactly. It's about mm. releasing control and it's about needing to not be right. When I don't need to be right and I don't care about the outcome, it is so incredibly accurate that it shocks me let alone the other person that it's shocking. It shocks yeah. me. So yeah. it, it's really quite interesting to have that experience um, and to know that because, you know, we all have an ego and I think it does serve a purpose. But, you know, for me, that that's one of my big ones is I don't have to get it right. And it's not my job to fix things for people. It's just to give the message, to empower them to come to their own conclusions and aha moments. So connecting so is about trust for sure yeah yeah absolutely and how did you go then to develop um yourself as a medium uh that's one question the other question is um uh related to that in a way is, is that are you working with your daughter in that space uh or and or others those are the two most perfect questions, Kim. <laughs> two most perfect. So me um, doing this as a medium happened by accident. So what I mean by that is 
that was never my intention. In fact, I never say that I never said that that's what I did or that's what I was doing. Even when I was doing it, it was almost like I didn't want to say that because I just wanted to be me, a parent who learned how to do it. And everyone can do it because every every parent is a parent. Um, So I never wanted that label. But the interesting thing is, is it didn't start out like that. Initially, it was just me conversing with Ava, with my grandmother, with my own specific loved ones. And I was just working with my clients as brief parents, just working through the grief process. And what would happen is, initially it started as I would get words when they were speaking, my clients' words would be highlighted. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to explain it. It's almost like when that resonation, that ping within the soul, that that word is important. Mm -hmm. And that's how I would know as soon as they were talking and a word got highlighted, I would interject and I would say, you need to go back to this word. There's something tied to this that is very heavy. And that's the root of the issue. That's the root of this belief. And when you say highlighted, it was kind of happening in your mind. Like they were speaking exactly. and you got this kind of flash or... Yes. So it was very emphasis. much like... Right. So to kind of explain it um, in a concept or in a way that would be understanding, it's kind of like uh, when you're going through a sentence in your mind and you're like, oh, that word, I need that word in there. That's the perfect word for this. Mm -hmm. That's what it would be like in my mind. That's the Mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. Go back to that word. Um, And sometimes I would see the word um, written out in letters as well through clairvoyance. It just shows up in my mind. So it initially started out like that, and it would always be very spot on. It uncovered and shifted a lot of beliefs for a lot of my clients doing that process. But then it started to shift and change to, I would start saying things that popped into my mind and it would be sudden and they would just drop in. And I would not know where they came from, but they would just come out of my mouth in my client sessions. But I would also, in my peripheral vision, in my mind, be able to see an outline of their child or of knowing that there was a spirit there. Um, And then as that started to happen, the more I embraced that and allowed whatever words and thoughts came through to just be said, the more profound healing that my clients experienced um, and the more I started to recognize that that was how I was connecting You know, it wasn't seeing people outside of me like a physical being there. And it wasn't I had to close my eyes and open this third eye up and see these visions with my eyes closed. Does that happen for me? And I do that. Yes. But it didn't show up like this for me in connecting. It's kind of like we'll do that exercise towards the end here of really gauging what clairvoyance actually looks like um, for me and for many people because it's way easier than we are led to believe or think or expected to be. Um, So that's kind of, it just progressed. And I, yeah, it's been a surreal experience. So basically it's progressed to the point where I can just sit down and specify who I would like to connect with. And they come through both with um, speaking through clear audience, which actually shows up in my mind as thoughts It's a full conversation in my mind between me and spirit, um, which is why a lot of people have a hard time accepting that's what it is for them as well, as well as getting the visual to go with it. So for me, the the clarity and conciseness of it is being able to hear the thoughts 
and have that visual in my peripheral mind as I'm doing it because I can see um, very specific images along with it. So it's kind of like a movie playing out in your mind, but it's a very disjointed moving. It's not a fluid, it's specific images. You know, for example, the one, um, the one son, he showed me a Christmas tree with a star on top, but the image was of the star and the star was being highlighted. So for me, I could have discredited that and said, hey, it's Christmas and everybody has a star on top of their tree, which is my general go-to thought Mm -hmm. of discrediting. But I didn't. I thought, you know what, I'm going to trust that. And I relayed that to her. And her response was, you know, we don't put stars on our trees. We put angels on our trees. And this is my first Christmas without my son. And we had to take the angel down and we put a star on there. So she connected the dots for something that I could have discredited and not given that silly, what seemed to be a silly, insignificant message to me was very profound for her to know that her son was actually there and saw that because how the hell would I ever know that only her son would know that and her, but that's kind of what connecting is like when you're connecting for other people. Um, And it's validating for the recipient to know that her first response was my son really is here with me. Oh yes. He really is there with you. I think that brings a lot of comfort, right? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, he's only going to show me what would bring her the most comfort. And that's what happened. Mm. And that's always what happens. It is to provide comfort, healing, um, love and guidance. I was going to say the other question that you were um, asking me there about Ava and her interconnection with this. So this goes back to trust, Kim. So, you know, I'm a regular human being and sometimes the stuff I experience is I kind of feel like because it's new for me and I have nobody to gauge it by and nobody to validate it with. Sometimes I do go there and it's like, can I really trust this? Like, is this for real? This is incredible. Amazing. Like, I just can't believe it. Some days it shocks me. Um, When I'm having trouble connecting, Ava, my daughter will show up. She's my gauge. She's my, north on the compass she's the north star i'm following when she shows up it's a validation for me you need to trust this whatever happens and whatever said and whatever you see you need to just trust it because sometimes the messages that come out i don't want to give them kim because Mm. sometimes i feel like it what if it what if it's hurtful like what if what if i'm wrong what if they take it the wrong way such a tender space right it really is. And that's why I like to work so um, intimately one-on-one with people through this program, because it allows the space to hold all that um, vulnerability and intimate parts of their life that only spirit knows about in a safe container for them without judgment. But yeah, so she's my validator. She's, I, I would not be here or doing any of this Without her, she's very much a facilitator um, coming full circle. We're coming up um, at the end of this decade would mark, you know, 10 years since her death. She passed away in 2010. Uh, She very much has brought this full circle and it's part of her purpose and my purpose. That is part of the purpose of her passing away. It was going to happen no matter what. It was written in our lives. So we do have free will and things that we choose to and not to do. 
um, at the end of the day, there are some moments that are going to happen, whether they happen now, whether it gets delayed for a year, there are some things that are supposed to happen the way they have happened. Um, my daughter's death and all the circumstances surrounding it um, and the intricacies of that intertwined with my life was intended to happen to propel this purpose, to propel awareness for others, which I could never do without having the full experience of going through all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you sound very clear about that, and that that makes so much sense mm-hmm. for that to be exactly. You know, when you talk about free will, I I wonder sometimes. You know, when we think about free will, we think about you know, Aaron has free will, Kim has free will, but but sometimes, like in that situation that you describe, it's it's like you had the free will before you came, before you were born, and this was arranged. You know, you you willingly. Mm-hmm. chose to to go through this experience does that does that resonate for you or? exactly so we so my understanding of it and by no means kim you know i i don't know everything and i may you know in a year be like whoa i just got way more information and it's this <laughs> you never know right but so my understanding of it is the free will concept of this you know as a losing a child, there is no free will in that. You literally feel powerless. It's another human being, something you have literally no control over, um, which makes you feel like there is no free will, which takes away any joy, any hope, um, any excitement for life. Because the reality is, is knowing that we can make choices is empowering. Knowing that I can choose to walk away from this that makes me unhappy is empowering for any human being. So when we're here, we're looking at the concept of free will. If I put this in the context of Ava and I, the free will here is not that, you know, I had free will over someone else. I only have free will over my own experience, which means Ava has free will over her own experience and choosing the free will to pass when and how she did. Each of us have that free will as well. However, for me to say I have free will in the context of other people makes no sense because that was her choice, not mine. I have free will over mine. So my free will is I get to choose how I move forward. I get to choose what thoughts I use to create that. I get to choose just as in my decision, you know, three years ago, three years ago now to decide to end my life. That was my free will. That was my choice. And it was also my choice to listen to a message from an extended family member and recognize that I could choose differently and I could create something different. So I don't really think that, you know, it really is two total opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes to free will. There's a lot of different arguments with it. But for me, I think it's really about people understanding that you only have free will over yourself. Yeah. And when a child dies, I only have free will over myself. She had free will over her own self. And that's hard to hear, Kim, because at the, at the end of the day, some of these you know people are murdered. Some of these kids have had horrific, horrific experiences, um, the way they passed even before. Many of us have had horrific things. So to hear that, you know, 
maybe we chose some of that experience that totally destroyed us and um, physically, mentally, and emotionally just cut us to the core is very difficult to hear, to even think about. You know, during my process of being unaware, if somebody had said that to me, I, you're darn straight, I probably would have smacked him in the face. I'm not going to lie yeah. because I wasn't ready to hear it. I wasn't open. I wasn't aware. And I was so stuck in the concept of being powerless and that it happened to me that I couldn't, I couldn't even acknowledge what somebody was saying. No. And it's okay for people to be in that space. It's a, it's a hard thing to hear when you are not ready for it. Well, and we feel so responsible for our children. I mean, they are like an extension yes. of ourselves. Yes, we live as if they're an extension of our of ourselves, yeah. Yeah. which really isn't healthy. No. Um, Dr. Shafali, Shafali, I'm not sure what her last name was, but she talks about that. And even the great uh, mystic poet Rumi, um, he talks about our children are not our children in that context. And, you know, for me, I very much was intertwined in that too, Kim. My mm. children were an extension of me. If they failed, that means I failed as a parent and as a human being when that's not true at all. At all. Yeah. yeah. They all, all have their here. own free will. Exactly. And we all come here with our own purpose and with our own history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that doesn't uh, absolve us from working at being good parents and assisting, Definitely not. assisting yes. our kids to, to be the fullest Maybe have, yes. let, let's say have have the least amount of uh, childhood trauma possible. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, exactly. We don't, we don't have to add to what we've already got. Precisely. Yes. So you know what's in, um, on a topic of that um, something that I feel like is relevant, and I'm not sure why this is popping in that I should talk about this, but on the context of you know being responsible for your children and the concept of childhood trauma and things like that. Um, one of the, one of the brave parents that was my client for quite some time who had some of the most life changing, life altering shifts, her, she, she had a a really horrific life, Kim, um, knowing the physical, emotional and mental abuse that she endured from a small child throughout much of her life before her oldest son died. Um, to hear about it and sit in that space and see it as she's talking about it was life-changing for me. It was horrific. And it was almost to the point where I thought, how could I ask somebody to find a gift in all of that? Mm. Um, and I, it wasn't for me to ask her. Her mother, who was one of her abusers, um, kept showing up in spirit. And my client kept saying, I don't want to talk to her. Um, because it was so, it was like her view of these people was that they were monsters and, you know, their actions toward her really were in a concept of, um, what we would deem as a monster. And her mom kept showing up in, not just with me, with other mediums, um, all over the place in spirit, trying to connect with her. So when we were in that intimate, vulnerable, safe space, I said to her, I said, listen, your mom's not going to go. And the reason she's not going is she doesn't want you to forgive her. She wants you to release all the stories and things that she put on you and told you that you carry with you now and is your perception of who you are. And her, she came through the total opposite of who she was in life, but she came through in that way to say, no, don't forgive me. 
write me this big long letter about all the horrible, horrific things that I have done to you and allow yourself to acknowledge how wrong it was. Because the reality is, is she lived, she lived her own experience, which she passed on to her daughter, my client, um, who ended up reliving out that experience as well. It's a cyclical childhood trauma that happens and it isn't until we become aware of it that we can break it Mm. and there's nobody without any childhood trauma so you know spirit comes to heal those things as well it's not just about giving you love and comfort they want to right wrongs and not to be you know for some people for her she couldn't even fathom forgiving her mother for the things that she had done to her um And that's what she needed to hear from her mom. You don't have to forgive me, but I don't want you to carry me anymore because it's killing you. It's hurting you. So it's it's really profound the way that um, the unseen really is there to help us and support us and catch us and guide us in the way that is the most relevant and to resonate with us individually in our own perception and experience. I really went off track there, Kim. No, that was a, <laughs> no, that was a, that was a really powerful story. You know? And I'm, I'm just sort of sitting, um, thinking about what that means. So there's a few things that I think about when I hear, when you, I hear you share that one, one is, uh, that, um, not all people change when they die. So, Mm-hmm. Um, some people stay on the other side and they remain to, they remain sick, I suppose. It would be a way of looking at it, you know. They wouldn't be in a position to come and help. So this this mother, it sounds like she was um, really looking to, to right her own actions, you know, and perhaps was experiencing a lot of remorse about what she, she did. Um, Absolutely. And I'm also thinking about ancestral healing, you know, as you're talking yes. about that, and how how when we're healing ourselves now, how that doesn't just benefit our children and, and our future generations, but also releases perhaps those of our ancestors who yes who, who caused a lot of trauma yes and, and pass that down yes, and you know, and the thing is, I think for you know, not everybody's awake. There's a lot of people walking around. Um, very much in their um, cycle of their experience um, and not aware. And I think that um, for each one of us that does go through this process and examine that and heal those things, we're also helping to heal for all of those that haven't quite gotten there yet as well, kind of opening that doorway for them as well as all of our loved ones past and that ancestral because we do carry that as well from our past lives with us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of us are working out stuff from our past life here. There's a lot of my ex-husband and I, that was all karmic working out stuff. And I, I can see that now, but in the throes of the moment, um, that was very, very difficult to, to just make it through that. But it of is course. all interconnected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Erin, I think we're um, kind of at the end in terms of our time, and I would like to to have a bit of um, a practical experience that you suggest that you might be able to offer us. 
Yes. Um, so do you want to tell us what that involves? Uh, absolutely. It is actually really quite easy. Um, a lot of people struggle with understanding what clairvoyance is. So there's a concept of you need to focus on opening your third eye and opening that up in your mind and seeing different things, which does work for some people. For me, seeing, I'm going to let you guys experience exactly what it looks like for me um, through your own perception. So um, once you're sitting down at a table, taking a few deep breaths, what you want to do is pick something in the room. Um, it could be, you know, a mug. It could be a plant. It could be a candle. It doesn't really matter what the object is. But I, if you focus on that object and looking at it, and then you close your eyes and see that object in your mind, that is clear seeing. That is how spirit, that's how I see spirit and images, just like that. So some people might say that's your imagination. Um, some people might say you're just recalling an image or a picture. That literally is how I see spirit, is in that context. Um, that is how I see clairvoyant psychic impressions. Is but, but they're not exactly like, things you've seen. Like So does they just appear right. in, your, in, in the... In in exactly. Your visual field sort of thing. Yes. But it's so exactly. So they just appear and I allow it to be whatever the appearance is of it. But it is exactly the same experience as closing your eyes and thinking about the cup that I've just looked at and being yeah. able to see that cup in your mind. That space in your mind that you're seeing it is also the space where you would get um, intuitive hits, seeing intuitive hits. Um, seeing that movie screen popping in, um, recognizing that a spirit is is there with you. That's where I see them. So people have this expectation that it should be this big thing that they've never experienced before, when the reality is it's something most of us experience every day, multiple times a day. Yeah. And that really is the base foundation of where you see your clairvoyance. Um and for a lot of people, it's like, oh, that's it? And I, and yeah, that it really is that simple. You really can tap then, into the space to receive it very simply. And then I guess it's a process of allowing yourself to, to experience it, to sit with it, to let something unfold and to, yes. to kind of uh, manage the questioning mind, right? The, that goes, oh, no, that's nothing. No, that's... Yeah. So, yes, exactly. So one of the things that I usually have my clients start with is just once you have um, pictured that object in your mind and you fully have examined it in your mind, okay, this is what my clear images are going to present as in this part of my brain. If something pops in like this, I can trust that that's what it is. So basically what I have them do, because it is hard to know where to start. Um, so as somebody who works with um, bereaved loved ones, the loved one that you want to connect with, you would simply close your eyes and picture their face in your mind. So for some people, it shows up as a photograph. Well, I just see a photograph. That's okay. Um, sometimes it's just their smiling face. Sometimes it's a very specific moment that you're recalling and seeing in your mind. But if you can just focus on their face and sit quietly without the thoughts going along with it and just focus on the face, 
things will start to filter in. The image will start to change. For some people, this is, it can be hard because they want so badly to have a connection that that actually doesn't allow them to. So if they're thinking, I need a connection, I need a connection, I need to see something, I need you to show me something, you're basically telling your mind, I need this because I'm not getting it. Therefore, I'm not getting it. Whereas one of the keys to allowing those images and those connections and those thoughts to drop in is releasing attachment to needing an outcome. It's about allowing yourself to receive without judgment, without expectation. And that's hard. Even I still, to this day, um, have to bring myself back to that. Well, that is, that is hard. And it's also, it kind of applies to, can apply to many areas of our life, right? Yes. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, I think we're going to wrap it up now, but I really appreciate you sharing your story. And um, it, it is quite, when you mentioned, I hadn't realized that it was three years ago, that three years ago you were suicidal you know, and today you are um, very clearly not. <laughs> the very total radiant, opposite. Yes. Radiant and, um, and shining a really bright light. So I really, really appreciate you coming on. Of course. No, it was absolutely my pleasure. I, lo- I love discussing these things. And I, I think it's wonderful that you have a platform where people can explore and listen and you're inviting them into that space. So I think that's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. The tune Seeing Us Out is another one from Axel Teslev. This one is called Akasha. You can find more information about today's guest on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com, including any links to their work and their contact details. On my website, you'll also find my blog and information and reviews about my book, Multidimensional Evolution, which you can purchase in any good bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions, share experiences, or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people, as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I am sending you my very best energies.